Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. <clears throat> I just wanted to say uh, something to the worship team here. I just wanted to thank them for how week after week they lead us through some intentional songs to try to encourage our hearts to worship the Lord. Are, are you finding that happening through all of this? Uh, if so, yeah, there you go. Thank you. <clears throat> We have a phenomenal team, don't we? And I'm not just talking about like, okay, these people who are up here, but there's people back there too. And um, from time to time, I get the opportunity to spend a little bit of their planning time with them and listen to some of what they're thinking and how they're asking the Lord for it. Like what songs would help best today and trusting him for that. Just like the speakers are saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say, right? Like, so there's just so much that God is doing here um, in the lives of different people and for us as believers. I just appreciate that. Well, uh, we're in the book of Acts, so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 11, while you're getting there, I'll just tell you a little bit of the background here that's going on in my own heart. As uh, Mark assigned this passage to me, I began to read it over and over, and I was thinking, okay, Lord, how in the world am I going to handle this? Like, everybody can read it for themselves, and in five minutes we're done, and so what do you need me for, right? Um, so I began to study it and, and look into it, and I'm just here to tell you it is packed, and just fair warning, I went over 10 minutes yesterday, so uh, there's a lot here. All right, so if you're with me, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 11. We'll put it up here for you as well. And just to remind you what has happened here is that uh, Luke has been writing and he's told us a story about this guy named Saul. And this guy went up to Damascus, do you remember this, in order to, to take capture of, of uh, believers up there and bring them back to Jerusalem. And lo and behold, God meets him on the way and he gets saved. And the short version is, is that, that he spends some time there, he comes back to Jerusalem, and then uh, he heads off eventually to his town of Tarsus, and that's where he's at right now. And Luke takes that opportunity to tell us that persecution really waned at that time, because Saul was, the, was a main instigator of that. And so persecution went way down, and that gave Peter opportunity, and so Luke then records that. And what we've just gone through over the last two weeks is this record of, um, of, of uh, Peter going to this house of Cornelius. First Gentiles, hearing the gospel, understanding, putting their trust, and uh, in verse 18 of this chapter, after Peter has convinced the rest there at Jerusalem of the, of the fact that God was the one who directed him to do that. It says, then they glorified God and they realized, oh, so now salvation has gone to the Gentiles too, right? So that's where we're at. And, and so this is beginning a transition for us. We're moving away from Peter as the central figure. He's been the, the first one to, to preach there early on in Acts 2, Acts 3, right? Like to the Jews. And then he speaks to the Gentiles here in Cornelius. And we're going to see uh, Peter move off the scene as far as Acts is concerned. And this guy Saul, whose name is going to become Paul, he's moving in, right? Like, and he's becoming more and more of the central figure. And we're going to watch his life as he is used by the Lord for the gospel to be uh, um, presented around the world, at least in their day in the, what they would call the known world at that time. That's what we're in. 
So as we go through this book of Acts, we've reminded ourselves it's a historical book, and we want to be careful about getting our theology out of it. But just as Marlon, you are Marlon and not Merlin, right? Just as Marlon, you had to be here at the family meeting for that joke. But um, just as he was praying that the Lord would speak to him, why? Because as we go through this book of Acts, what we're looking for, God, is to speak to our hearts, teach our hearts. And he's going to do that, Lord willing, today through a guy named Barnabas. So here we are in verse 19, and it says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Now, if you remember back in chapter 8, that's when this guy Stephen was stoned. And as a result of that, persecution started there in the church, and, and so... Uh, Luke is picking this back up and saying, as part of that, those people that were scattered out of Jerusalem, guess where they started going? And the places he's describing are all kind of like to the north of Israel. That's what they are. Not that that's a big deal, other than we're seeing it move, is what's happening here. I gotta stop and tell you, he's hitting it out of the park right here from the very beginning, and you might not even know it. And And he hits it out of the park with this word scattered says there, now those who were scattered after the persecution. And that word scattered is uh, like uh, seed being scattered. I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but in my home, excuse me, in Michigan, that's why we have water up here. In my home in Michigan, I moved in and I noticed that my yard was kind of a little bit sparse in places, right? And I have this tool that I can throw seed in and I can go walking around and crank it and it just throws it out and it's all nice, right? It just, it does it very uniformly. But I want it in certain areas that are sparse. So, so I'm reaching into the bag and I'm getting a handful of it and I'm coming up and I'm throwing it, right? I'm scattering it right where I want it to be. That's what he's talking about here. If you just read through this and you don't know that, you're just reading it and going, oh, persecution, ah, we're out of here, let's hit the road, right, and we're just scattering, it's like bugs scattering, (laughs) someone's starting to stomp on them, they're hitting the road, that's not what he's talking about here, those who were scattered like seed being sown, the idea of seed being sown is that something's going to grow as a result of that, and so Luke is telling us there's something intentional happening here, lest we talk about intentional discipleship. That's what's going on. God's doing something intentional. He's scattering them. It looks like, ah, persecution, we're just fleeing. But God is placing people exactly where he wants them to be. I don't know about you, but that encourages me because I just moved. It's almost a year ago now that we've come here to Winchester. I love it here. You guys have helped us to, to feel a part of this. There's no, there's no issue whatsoever. I'm just grateful to know, though, that God has placed me here for a purpose, for a reason. Now, he doesn't always shout it from the mountaintop. Hey, Tim, this is what I'm doing, right? Most times, as he scatters us, wherever he puts us, he wants us to trust him, to believe that what he's doing is right, and good, and it's good for us too. And so there's a comfort of heart then, oh, when things seem to be in chaos, realizing that we serve a God, and he is still on the throne, and even though it looks like something, scattering is what's occurring. Now you'll notice as we go through this that there are no names given to any of these individuals. We're not being told who they are, 
like before, just earlier on, we see, oh, Peter. And Peter goes, and Peter talks to this guy, oh, Cornelius, right? Like we have names attached to this because God wants specifically for us to understand something when that goes on. But here, it doesn't matter who the people are. What matters is that they were scattered by a God who knew exactly what he was doing, and guess what? Other people are being impacted by that. We just talked about building bridges. That's the exact same thing for you and I then, right? And so it says, they were scattered after the persecution, and they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So these were Jews that were leaving, and they were only talking to Jews. This is before what we've just learned about with Cornelius, right? This scattering occurred before then. So now Luke is coming back around and telling us, hey, this is what was going on. And it says in the next verse, but some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So that tells us that these individuals were from this area. They knew this place. They were probably known in this place as well. God is intentionally, in this case, taking someone from a region and who's moved away from there and now bringing them back into that region and using them specifically. That's phenomenal. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he moves someone out of a region into another region and they've never been there before. They're totally unknown. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that he gets glory out of all of that. And so we're told this story here, and it says they were preaching the Lord Jesus. And it says in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So there was impact that was happening. When it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, he's not just saying that God was approving of this. He's saying that God was in this. That the reason why all of this is happening is because of God. It's God's hand that scatters. It's God's hand that brings the increase out of that. So the names don't matter. Well, moving on to that then, we, this news travels. If you have a, a map in the back of your Bible and you want to look at it, you'll see Jerusalem, and then you'll see this town Antioch way to the north there and up closer to the coast. It, it was a big town. It was a town that actually rivaled Rome and Alexandria for its wealth, <clears throat> for its power, for its population, for its commerce. There were a lot of things going on there. They estimate that there was probably half a million people living in this town. So here in Antioch, the gospel has come, and now the news of the, the reaction to that gospel has made its way back to Jerusalem. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Do you remember this guy? We saw this guy at the end of chapter 4. He was the guy who sold a piece of property and gave the proceeds of that property sale to the church to use as they saw fit. And then an Ananias and a Sapphira people, a little couple, said, hey, we, like, we want to get in on that. And they did a little devious. Do you remember that? and not so well for them. That's when we first see this guy. And then Saul, when he went up to Damascus and he became a believer, he came down to Jerusalem and tried to associate himself with those disciples down there. And they're like, hey, we got nothing to do with this guy. We think he's fooling us. And Barnabas, this same dude, comes alongside, tell me your story. Oh, man, hey, apostles, this is what's gone on with him. And he links them up. Right? So we've already seen this guy. We've already understood some things about him. And we know that from his name, Barnabas, it means son of encouragement. And we're seeing that already happening. Well, we're going to see it again. Here we go. So Barnabas is, is tagged. You're the guy. Get going up there to Antioch. You go find out what's going on up there. And so he does. And look at this. Verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad 
and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Have you ever asked yourself, what does grace look like? That's what it says there, right? When he had seen the grace of God. Well, what, what did he see? What does that look like? What is it that, that you actually get an opportunity to go, that's God's grace right there? Well, it doesn't actually tell us here in the text, but I'll submit several things for you to consider. One is, is that he saw some believers who weren't believers just a little while ago. That's the grace of God. Now, there's a little dispute, just so you know. Uh, uh, some of our versions say the Hellenists. Some of, us say, some of those versions say Greeks. It depends on which manuscript that, that Bible is being translated from, right? We're not sure if these were exactly Jews who were now functioning like Greeks, like using the Greek language, or if these were actual Gentiles. And that's why, because after Cornelius, now it's being brought to us again. Here's another story of that. We're not totally sure about that. All we know is that this guy shows up, and what he says, sees, he's glad over because he sees the grace of God. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, when God puts forth salvation and says, here, this is yours, that's grace, right? You may uh, uh, um, uh, accept this. You may put your trust in what my son did for you. That's grace. I'll give you salvation if you trust him. You don't deserve it. That's grace. So he's, he, he may have seen something like that. But I think there's so much more based on some of these words that we're looking at here when it says that he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He wants something to keep on going that has been going, but keep on going. Titus chapter 2 tells us that the grace of God that's appeared to all it does several things. One is that it teaches us to say no to sin and it's to worldly lust, like the, the, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. No! Well, he should have been seeing some of that. Oh, it may have been in, in immaturity, right? Like brand new believers, but they should be already choosing some things that say no to sin. But Titus also says that the grace of God also teaches us to live righteously and godly and soberly in this present age right now. So, so life should have been changing for them. He should have seen the outworking of this grace. It's not so much that grace is the, oh, there it is, I got a hold of that. It's the outworking of that grace is what he's seeing. And guess what? He's glad, it says, right? He was glad. If you look just a few verses back up to verse 18, right there, when after Peter had given his whole spiel of this is what happened at the house of Cornelius, look at the wording there. Look at verse 18. Do you see what it says? It says that those people who, by the way, if you go further back, you'll find out that they were the ones, the, Judy, uh, the Jews, who are saying, hey, what in the world are you doing going to eat with these Gentiles, Right? And that's why he had to give this whole defense. And once he does, it says, oh, well, then they glorified God. And then they realize, well, God has brought redemption to the, to the Gentiles here. But it doesn't say they were glad. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't. I'm just saying it doesn't say it. It doesn't tell us that. So there's, there's room for us to, to say, oh, you know what? These guys are going, hey, praise the Lord for this. He's bringing, yeah, those stinking Gentiles. Let me tell you what. When you've been prejudiced all your life against somebody, it's kind of hard to switch it just like that, right? It's kind of hard to switch it. 
But God wants to begin to do a work in our lives, a transformative work in our lives, to change us from what he has declared us to be, that that might be lived out. And here this guy shows up, Barnabas, and he sees the grace of God, and guess what? He's glad over all of that. He's what I call a yes face. I think I read this from Charles Swindoll one time. He talks about yes face and no face. I'm a no face, just so you know, right? Like that, my natural inclination, my kids say, hey, dad, can we? No, right? That's the first hint. No. <laughs> well, why not? Well, I don't know why not. I guess, yeah, I don't know why I said no in the first. But yeah, that'd be good. Go for it, right? Like, that's what I am. I'm a no face. And, and hopefully, as time goes by, I begin to learn, like, that's not always the best answer. Sometimes it's good. He was a yes face. He's a guy who, what? There's the grace of God. Oh, am I so glad for that. We're going to know why here in just a little bit when we get to it. But it says he was glad and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now this is an important phrase for us. This idea of purpose of heart has with it, it's a, the picture would be to present something, to lay something out there, to make something known so that the heart would seek to attain it. The heart wants it, in other words. And it's not covetousness. That would be a word that we would talk about from a, from a negative perspective. This is from a positive or a godly perspective. In other words, that God is presenting something and saying, hey, this is what your heart needs to desire to go after. And that's what Barnabas is encouraging them, that with purpose of heart. He's putting something out and he's saying, guys, go after this. Seek to attain this. And he says that they should continue with the Lord. <clears throat> If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> In Philippians chapter 3, I'll put that up there for you, I guess. Well, there you go. There's the references we're talking about. Verse 8. I chose this because I think that this passage gives us a great example of what Barnabas is encouraging them to do. That with purpose of heart, it's going to tell us something about this purpose of heart, and it's going to tell us something about what it means to continue with the Lord. So let's look at this real quick here, right? Okay, let's pick this up in verse 7, and he says, But what things were gained to me, this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, What things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Now, if you want to find out what those things were, all you got to do is read the verses in front of it. Paul lists out a number of things. These are true about my life. And guess what? I count all of those things as loss, he says. And he goes on in verse 8. Yes, indeed, I also, not just those, but I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Are you hearing some terms that are attaining that I might gain Christ? This is a believer talking here, right? What is he saying? He's not saying that I get saved. He's saying that I might gain, well, let's just keep going. You'll see it here. And be found in him. That's what I desire. And be found in him. Here's purpose of heart. How do I want to be found? When someone's looking for me, where are you, Tim? Oh, there you are. You're in Christ. Oh, that's amazing. That's what he's saying here. I want to be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So Paul is describing here this, this purpose of heart. What is it that should be put out before us? And, and in this phraseology that he uses here, he says, um, the, 
that I count, verse 8, I count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That knowledge that he's talking about is not just intellectual, but it's also experiential. You'll hear me say this over and over again. Because God desires <clears throat> for what we know in our heads to reach our hearts, <clears throat> to become part of our life. And that's what Paul is asking for. That's what he's stating he desires. I want, I see all of these things as a waste, a zero, as far as I'm concerned, in comparison to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, of knowing that. And so he goes on and he says in this, and these are also words, this no word in verse 10 is also one of experience too. <clears throat> Here's the continue portion. That I may know him. That's what Paul is asking for. This is the guy. This is the Saul. This is the one that we're going to see later on that Barnabas is going to go get and bring him back to Antioch and they're going to teach together. This is the guy who's writing this under inspiration of the Spirit of God. But this is what he's saying, that I might know him. That's what grace does. <clears throat> when, when Barnabas saw the grace of God, guess what he saw? People who were hungry to know the Lord. Not just to learn about him, but for his life to become theirs. That's transformation. For the life of Christ to be lived out in our mortal body. That's knowing him. That's not just intellectual, but that's experiencing him. I'm learning, the word of God says that he's kind, and I'm learning that he is kind <clears throat> because that's how he engages with me. I'm learning that he loves me. I'm learning that even in his chastening in my life, that that's all part of love. Authentic fathers discipline their children. And so my heavenly father, when he disciplines me, guess what? It tells me I belong to him. It tells me I'm his. That's what that is. <clears throat> and so Saul goes, he says, or Paul here at this time, that I may know him. That's one thing. Here's another one. You could take that word know and it just flows right through. That I may know him and that I might know the power of his resurrection. Oh yeah, we want that, right? What is he talking about with that? You have the opportunity to say no to sin. You don't have to sin anymore. It's a choice. And Paul says that I might know the power of his resurrection. How are we going to know that? Oh, the sin that easily besets us. The sin that we fall into over and over again. And we begin to see the Lord maturing us up. So that we're responding to his spirit and we're saying no to that. And that's a miracle to us because always before we've always just succumbed to that temptation. And now we're making choices. That's called growth. That's called maturing. <clears throat> Paul goes on. He says also, and that I would know the fellowship of his suffering. I say we like the first two, but not so much the second. But let me tell you, this fellowship, this partnering, this togetherness, that's what it's talking about. A cooperating together in regards to suffering. Why? Because again, it's in that kind of a context that we begin to see the grace of God. You see, we're not really people who love the grace of God until we need it, right? That what God is giving to us that we don't deserve, we don't care so much about that <clears throat> until we need it. And suffering so often brings that about for us. It helps us to see that. And God knows that, and so he uses it as a tool. He's not morbid. He's not taking delight in that. He's knowing that it's going to teach our hearts about his grace and about who he is. And so Paul goes on. He says, and also the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. 
There's a need to die to self in all of this. We're not going to, he's not talking about dying physically. He's talking here spiritually. We died with Christ, the scripture says. That's already a fact about us. So now we have the privilege in practice to live that out, to say no to the things that the flesh desires. And so he goes on. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He's not talking about this like, oh, somehow if I do all of this stuff, somehow I'll be resurrected. He's talking about this attainment that we're saying of the purpose of heart. Of, oh, if somehow as I, as I know him and as I know the power of his resurrection and I know the fellowship of his suffering and I'm being conformed to his death, somehow in that that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I might live resurrected life right now. Not when I get a new body, but right now. That's our privilege. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This is what he's declared to be true about me. I want to live that out. That's what Barnabas was talking about. That's when, when Barnabas said that with purpose of heart you would continue with the Lord, that's what he's talking about. And Paul's an example to us. And we want to read that, not because we want the bony finger, shame, 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 you should be. No, we want to read it because we realize it's the grace of God at work. And we're saying, God, we want that. We want to be Barnabases who say, hey, there's the grace of God. I see it. <clears throat> I have to tell you this. Last night, as soon as I was done, a lady came up. And uh, so I had some notes. And I don't always follow exactly what I'm prepared to teach and so I didn't fill in a blank for her and she wanted that filled in and so she asked me this question and uh so then she started to introduce herself I I said what's your name and you know what do you do and she told me a little bit about herself and early on she told me she said I'm a Rahab and I kind of like I hope she didn't even see it I just kind of staggered a bit like do you know Rahab (laughs) Most times in Scripture when Rahab is talked about, it's Rahab the harlot, okay? <laughs> and, and I kind of, oh, oh my, okay, <laughs> recover here quick, right? And she started talking to me about that, and then she realized what she had said, and she said, well, well not the prostitution part, <laughs> right? But she said, you know, I, I, I've been a wayward child, and, and, and I've been, and she just described some things that made her think I can recognize Rahab here. It didn't dawn on me till later that I was seeing the grace of God right there in front of me. Here's a person <laughs> that has been teaching on this very subject and saying, oh, there's the grace of God, and then not seeing it right away when it's right in front of my face. A person who by the grace of God, he has reached into her life and has saved her, and now she's wanting to walk with him and hey, i got to fill in that blank. I need to know something here, right? There's a hunger of heart. That's the grace of God. And that's how easy it is to miss, right? It's happening all the time in our lives. It's happening in people's lives around us. And we often miss it because we need a Barnabas to encourage us and teach us and to show us. Oh God, you are at work and it is amazing to us. Now, I just want you to know, i got to do this quick here, <clears throat> finishing this up in Philippians. 
He said, I don't, I don't count myself, verse 13, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So what we're talking about here is a mindset of maturity. You may be like me and you may say, you know what, Lord, I'm missing it all the time. Your grace is out there. I know it's out there, but I miss it all the time. You know what that should be telling you? You got some growth. You got some need for it. That's what that told me last night. Son, I've got a child of mine standing right before you and you missed it, right? You missed it. And it's not a bony finger, oh, shame on me. It's just the reality of it, of, you know what, God, I need you. I need you. Well, guess what? What Paul is talking about in this portion that we're in right now, therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind. That's what that is. That helps us to know, oh, there's some immaturity here in my life. I'm going to have to trust the Lord for that. Right? But he says this, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal even this to you. Thank God for that, right? Thank God that he wants to teach us. That he doesn't just leave us in our immaturity. Act your age. Grow up. That's not what he says to us. Oh, he needs to help us to know that we're immature at times. But he's not doing it in order to drive us into the ground with it. He's doing it so that we'll turn to him and say, God, you're going to have to mature me up. You're going to have to grow me up. You're the one who does that. You're the father. Nevertheless, verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, there's that word again, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He's saying, join me in this, right? Join in following my example. He's speaking of himself somewhat more mature than the people that he's writing to, and he's saying, join me, follow along. And that's what we have the privilege to. There's many people who are on life's journey who are behind us by a mile or two. Are you encouraging them to join you? Follow me as I follow the Lord in the maturing process. He says, note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. There is a need for mature people to be leading the way so that those of us who are immature can follow. We can see it. I see the grace of God in that person. And that's what I want. And I'm going to trust you, Lord, to, to do some of what you've done in their life in my life too. And so we're pursuing that. But there's a sad thing about this too. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they're the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. There are those who aren't walking that way. And so we're told to mark them, to see them, to note them, and realize that that's true. So not every believer that's out there is, is functioning in this way. <clears throat> Let's pick this back up. Turn with me back to Acts, will you? Acts chapter 11. It tells us then, after he says, with gladness then, he encourages them that with purpose of heart that they would continue with the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we want God to do a work in our hearts for. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're believing him for. And it is, mark this, it is, it is the grace of God that does that. It is the grace of God that does that. 
And so we pick it up in verse 24. It says, for he was a good man. This tells us why. Why was he doing this? There's three things that are, that are mentioned in this next little bit. He was a good man, it says. Now, this word good is talking about, like, for him personally, he was a benevolent. He, he was a, there was some goodness about him. Not in the sense of sta- his standing before God, although that was true now because he's a believer. So, therefore, it's, it's the goodness of God that's there, right? But that there's something going on in the, in the character of this individual that's being labeled as good. And that's something that you and I have need of, right? That people would, would recognize that as they hang out with us. They might not know exactly what it is, but there's something about you that's different. And so they say, hey, what is it? Some will even dare to ask. There's a goodness. And this goodness goes so far as also because he's good, he's looking for the good of others, No wonder he was glad to see the grace of God in their lives. No wonder it wasn't one of these, oh, I can't believe God is saving those people. Oh, man, are you sure about this one, God? Like, he didn't need a sheet to come down from heaven to prove to him that this needed to be done. His heart was already there. It was already there. Why? Because God had been doing a work of goodness in his life, a yes face kind of a thing. It also tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit. What is he talking about with that? That means that he was cooperating with the Spirit of God. He was allowing the Spirit of God to lead him in this. He was, he was not resisting, he was yielding to him. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is at work. And then it also says he was full of faith, meaning that, again, he's cooperating with, he's allowing faith to have its work in his life. I believe what you're doing here, God, and I trust you for it. So that's why he had the reaction that he had. So again, when I don't have that kind of reaction, then I need to look at some of those things and say, Lord, what's going on here? Is there some goodness that's lacking in my heart and life? Is there a lack of actually walking in the Spirit? Beth and I have been talking about this on and off. I'll tell you what, it's, it's hard to sit in your seat when you're talking about the Spirit of God, isn't it, Beth? You just kind of get like, whoa, this is incredible what He does in our life and how He wants to lead us in the small details of life when you see, oh, there's the fingerprints of the Spirit of God right there. He's at work. That's amazing. And full of faith. Learn it. You know what, God? When these things are lacking, I'm not trusting you, am I? I I allow my circumstances to kind of cloud the issue. And I buy into those things. Even though I know better. Ah, no wonder we must know these things experientially and not just intellectually. Because intellectually we can think that we're trusting God. When in reality we're biting every fingernail we've got down to the quick because we're worried and anxious over whatever the moment is, right? This is why this guy was encouraging them in those things, because God had been doing a work in his life, and he's responding characteristically to that. It says then in verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Remember, Saul had gone to Tarsus. That was his hometown. So now Barnabas, this is just a continuation of, the, of, of what we're talking about, a good, spirit-filled, faith-filled individual. All right, I'm going to get Saul. I know what I need to do. When he travels on to Tarsus and he goes looking for him, it says there, they went to, departed for Tarsus to seek him. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
So he goes and he gets him and he brings him back. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught, taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So he gets Saul and he brings him back and they partner up together and they begin to teach. And you're going to see this. Now, Barnabas is going to show up as we continue through this book of Acts a number of times. You're going to see this exact same heart again and again. I'm going to go get a guy, and I'm going to work with him, and he's going to work with me, and we're going to trust the Lord to do something here, and this is going to be amazing. Watch out and see, right? Because why? Because when God gets his hand into something, ho, 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 he makes things happen is what he does. There's a couple things just to highlight for you. There's a couple firsts here. Number one, in that end of that, it says that they assembled with the church. He's talking there in Antioch. That's the first time those believers are called the church now. So now we've got a group of believers just like us gathering together. And it also says that they, this is the place where they were first called Christians. Just so you know, that word Christian means like a follower of Christ or one who belongs to Christ. It was probably used at that time, it was probably coined as a derogatory phrase. It was to, de, to delineate between the Jews and the Gentiles and then these Christians. And you could be a Jew Christian and you could be a Gentile Christian, but you were being labeled now as a Christian, a follower. They were called that because they could see the grace of God in their life. And for a year, these guys are being taught and they respond. <clears throat> well, Luke gives us then in the next couple of verses, he tells us a little bit about what that's like. And here again, you're going to see an example of the grace of God. Let's go through this quick. It says, in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. It almost seems like, wait, Luke, uh, you know, squirrel, like you just kind of jump off on something. No, 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 no. He's still thinking the same thinking. He's still saying, look, I'm telling you that they were called Christians here, and I want to highlight something here for you. I want you to see the grace of God at work in Christians. Watch. Here's an example. Another expression. There's the grace of God. Look at this. In these days, they, these prophets came, and it says in verse 28, then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There is a living, breathing example of the grace of God at work in the lives of believers, of Christians. I was going to look it up this morning, I forgot to do that, uh, but I've heard before of, um, of people groups and then how much do they give? And do you know those who are labeled as Christians far outweigh all others in regards to giving? Why is that? Because we want a little pat on the back? Some of us are doing it because we want to get to heaven and we think that's the way it's going to earn, you know, that we'll get there. So there's room, some wrong motive, in other words. But those who are true Christians respond just like this. What? There's a need? I want to be a part of that, Lord. Would you allow me to be a part of that? Would you do that for me? By your grace. Now I say grace because of this. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians, 
There's a number of passages in the Scripture that talk about um, giving. And I'm not trying to get into it in the sense of uh, oftentimes you feel at church when you start talking about this, it's a bit of a bony finger. Like, hey, you guys need to be giving, right? We had a family meeting, what was it, last Sunday? I guess it was last Sunday night. And uh, some of our, of our deacons who handle the finance side of it got up here and gave us a bit of a report. And they told us some things. And one of the things that they told us was that, um, you know, we, we, we've got money, like, you guys are giving and we don't have any, we're not coming to you saying, hey, we're, we're, we've got a shortfall, would you please help us out? We're not doing that kind of a thing. So there's been generosity here within this fellowship. But, but Bob also said, he's, he gave a percentage, you know those bean counters, they always know the percents, right? Like, and he said, there's a percentage of our fellowship that don't give anything. And when I first heard that, I thought, what, what? I'm like, are you serious? Right? That, wasn't, that wasn't good news for me. It still isn't good news for me, but for a whole different reason. What I realized, oh, you know what? Those people don't understand the grace of God. They, they, they don't understand grace. Because when you understand grace, you realize you've been given something that you didn't deserve. And as that thought, as that truth begins to bear on your life, God begins to change you so that you're wanting to be a vessel. I know my toes are about over this, just so anybody's freaking out over that one. I'm not going to fall here. But it's too exciting, right? Like as that begins to happen for you, guess what? The grace of God begins to grip your heart and you desire to give. You remember that in Corinthians it talks about a cheerful giver? That's because a person is learning about grace, and they're cheerfully giving of their wealth or of their poverty. And you can go study some of this out. You can find out like the place that, that, that um, we're at, they're, it says that they gave relief, right? Like according to their ability. So it was in proportion to that. But you can also read this same author, Luke, talked about a woman who was a widow and she gave two mites. And the Lord himself said, that's all she has, Right? So you have this whole range of opportunities to give. But I want you to know it's a grace. And, and so turn with me real quick here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to see this. And why we're talking about this is because this is just another example of a group of believers in one year from the time that they got saved, and now they've been taught all along through that year by Barnabas and Saul, and guess what? They find out that there's need down here in this church, fellow believers down there in Jerusalem, and they decide we're going to give to them. We're helping them out. Why? Because this thing of grace is impacting their life, and this is how I know it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it starts out this. Listen to this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Okay, you understand the context? This is what Paul's talking about. I want to tell you guys something about the grace of God that he bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. This area of Macedonia, this is how he poured out his grace. Watch. It's going to be different than what you're expecting. That in a great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, <clears throat> they were, they were uh, freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They were poor. They were afflicted. A great trial of affliction but they had abundant joy because they were asking the Lord, would you give us an opportunity? And they wanted to give. And that is what's being described as the grace of God being bestowed upon them. Can you believe that? 
I think if I was in that set of circumstances, I would say, all this affliction that I'm going through, this isn't the grace of God. What are you talking about? I would miss it. I would miss it just like I missed it last night. But it's all part of that grace of God giving us opportunity. And the more we understand that, the more that we want to be just like a Barnabas. We want to be people that, that are being described as good because God is doing a work in our lives. We want to be people who are, who are full of the Spirit. We're, we're cooperating with Him. We're yielding ourselves to Him and His direction in our lives. We're learning what it means to walk in the Spirit. We're people of faith, where faith permeates our life, where we're making choices to cooperate with, well, child, trust me. Okay, Lord, I will. Right? And we're growing in these things. And as we are, guess what? People are going to be a Barnabas. They're going to come visit us, and they're going to say, I've seen the grace of God. I've seen the grace of God. And it's not for the purpose of holding grace up. It is for the purpose of ultimately that shows him. That glorifies him. That helps us to see him. Because let me tell you, a bunch of self-centered individuals of which we all are, who are willing to give of our own resources, can only be the grace of God at work in our lives. We're getting a taste of it, right? We're getting a feel for that. We're getting a sense of that. And as we are, we're trusting him and we're growing and maturing and having the same mind in regards to all of that. This is amazing stuff, isn't it? And so Luke just records for us in a historical way, here's what's gone on in this little church called Antioch. And guess what? In doing that, the Spirit of God uses it to challenge our hearts, but also to encourage our hearts. If he can do it for a bunch of no-names in Antioch, he can do it for F-satters, and he can do it for, for dungeon dwellers, and he can do it for early bird niners, and he can do it for those lazy sleep-in 1045ers, right? He can, he can use us all in this same kind of a thing of, of building these bridges out within our community and with one another and being used by the Lord for the grace of God to be seen and adored. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word and the richness of your word. As I said, um, starting out, there's a confession of reading it and kind of thinking there's not a whole lot here, only to find out that it's absolutely saturated with wonder. Every word that you choose, every concept that you're presenting to us, all of those things point to you. They tell us how marvelous you are. And we stand in awe of you. But Father, we don't want to just worship. You've given us a team that helps us to think about those kinds of things. We don't want to just worship in a, in a, in a, in a way so that we feel this. But we want to worship you with our lives. We give our lives as a living sacrifice to you to use as you see fit. And we thank you for that. It is grace that you allow us to even partner together, to cooperate together with you. What amazing grace it is. We revel in it, Father, because it points us to you and tells us you're amazing. So we want to tell you that you're amazing to us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.